0: And welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. I am your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and this is your co-host,
1: Kevin Tofel.
0: And today we have some sad news for all the wink lovers out there, which means Kevin.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just me. I'm the only one. I'm a wink fanboy all by myself.
0: It's It's only you. Well, the news, Tuesday morning... Quirky, the company that owns Wink, filed for bankruptcy. They filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which means they're trying to restructure. As part of that, they agreed to a bid from Flextronics, which now goes by Flex, to they accepted Flex's bid for $15 million for the Wink home automation subsidiary. So you may be wondering, what does that mean for you?
1: I am exactly wondering that. What does that mean for me? Not the listeners or anybody else. What does it mean for me? Because I love my wink. That's
0: the only one in the world who loves their <laughs> wink. But you know, I'm actually running a wink right now. So I I wonder what it means for me running a wink. The answer is for the next 60 days or so, your wink should still continue operating. What they're going to do as part of the bankruptcy process, Flex has made what is called a stocking horse bid. So that means that quirky likes flex's bid the best and if any other bidders come along that offer more money and appear to be better for the creditors and wink's business is an ongoing concern basically the bankruptcy court and the trustees would say hey you know flex do you want to offer more money otherwise we're going to take this other company's bid i don't think that's going to happen they've been mm-hmm. trying to sell wink for for months i
1: mean uh, yeah and it's it's a numbers problem um you had written up this story when the news broke and it sounded like they were between fifty and hundred million dollars in debt. Uh, they, they are. Yeah. Uh,
0: so Quirky has between fifty and hundred million dollars in debt. They have between ten and fifty million in assets. When I spoke to Ben Kaufman, the CEO, the he's now the former CEO of Quirky mm-hmm. all the way back in July, he said that Quirky had about two million or sorry, twelve million dollars in cash left. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not a lot of cash left.
1: No. And, according to the bankruptcy filing, you had said Flextronics is the biggest creditor. They're owed about almost, gosh, almost nineteen million as it is. So, you know, fifteen million. They're just trying to recoup as much as I guess as possible. And then what may they do if they get the bid accepted?
0: So, if they get the bid accepted, their goal is probably to keep it going as a legitimate business. Mm-hmm. So, Flextronics actually made the Wink hub for Quirky. Mm -hmm. So it behooves them to actually keep it operating for a couple reasons. One, there's all these Wink hubs still out there on the shelves and the relays. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole ecosystem of devices and partners that also are Flextronics customers, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Flextronics makes a lot of... They're a contract manufacturer. They also work with startups through their Lab 9 division, building a lot of connected products. So having a big black eye in terms of Wink failing and all these mm. partnerships and integrations failing is probably not in their best interest. Yeah. So if they can keep this going and maybe maybe turn the business around for Wink in terms of continuing to sell products, maybe mm-hmm. be continuing to sell the other Wink products that are on the shelves and recoup some of that money, that would be great for them.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's, from a consumer standpoint, I mean, you might be, might be able to get a deal on the Wink hardware in the near future, but you don't know what its future is, of course.
0: Right. And so I, I sat there and I emailed um, a Wink spokesman, and he, he said, quote, this does not impact how users experience Wink, and they will continue to receive the same support after the process is finalized. Hmm. So that implies that after the 60-day period for the bankruptcy, proceedings is over, that Wink is going to continue as a going business. Mm-hmm. That's my hope. I've, Mine too. I've also reached out to a bunch of the Wink partners, because Wink has these partnerships with Lutron,
1: mm-hmm. with
0: Philips, with Amazon, with right. Chamberlain, with Nest, all of these companies that have these integrations. And that's actually why I'm still using my Wink, is because it it has these relationships that right. I depend on as part of my home automation scheme. So. My hope is that all these companies are like, yes, this is a setback, but we love working with Wink. Customers love it. Blah, blah, blah. Kevin Tophel is a fanboy. We will mm-hmm. continue to support Wink as long as it's around.
1: So here's a question. Yes or no. We don't have to get into detail. Have you talked to the SmartThings people about this?
0: I have not talked to anyone. I have, I have reached out at this point to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Including SmartThings.
1: So. Ah, see, because... I mean, if, if I had my wish, it would be like some other established company that's already in the space, kind of absorb it and continue it. Or some IoT consortium of companies say, we've decided all together, let's just work together in, on a platform and we'll build off of this. I don't think that's going to happen. That's pie in the sky. But but smart things. I could see uh, the Samsung maybe be interested.
0: So here's the irony. Irony alert. I know, I'm like... When we say that, there should be like a red flashing light to everyone. That would be awesome. We should know if this in that recipe.
1: Yeah, my light's just flashed red, so.
0: There you go. So we were going to talk, Kevin and I were going to talk about this actually last week on our show, who should buy Wink? Because to me, it's like this sad asset running around out there. And I've been very nervous about what happens to it. Mm-hmm. So I was going to go with Amazon because I had talked to sources who said that Amazon had looked at Wink and then backed off because of the security glitch way back in May. Mm -hmm. And I thought with the integration with Alexa, I'm sorry, everybody who's who's Amazon (laughs) Echo just went off. I apologize. (laughs) So with the integration with the Amazon (laughs) Echo, I thought that would be a really nice kind of software platform that would bring a lot of really interesting functionality to Amazon.
1: And I don't disagree with you, but I don't know that Amazon wants to be that player in this market. I think they're happy being an interface that connects to a gazillion different things.
2: Well, wink
0: is kind of, that's what wink wants to be. I absolutely I, true. I see absolutely true. No real difference. I mean, the echo adds the voice functionality, but I don't see a real big difference there. Really,
1: uh, fair, enough. fair enough. I don't know.
0: I mean, Mm -hmm. You're like, I don't want to disagree with you, but I'm going to subtly disagree with
1: you. (laughs) You caught that, did
0: you? I did. I'm I'm a sharp cookie.
1: What can I say? You are. You are. Another surprise to me, and and you obviously knew this, but I did not, that the third largest creditor for Quirky is UPS.
0: Oh, you know, I was looking at that. You know what I thought that? that would be? What? Because do you remember, again, that security glitch back in May? What happened was they basically bricked all their devices with a Mm -hmm. upgrade, a certificate upgrade. Yeah. So if your device was bricked, Wink let you ship your device back to them on their dime, and then they Uh... shipped it back to you after they reset it. What was kind of funny is all, and I shouldn't say all you had to do was basically go to your router and reset the DNS Mm -hmm. and then upgrade the device and then turn your DNS settings back that it's is, not
1: something everybody knows how to do. I totally understand.
0: Yes, but they did yeah. put up a website and let you and told you how to do it, and it wasn't it wasn't terribly intimidating mm-hmm. as things go. But yeah, yeah. apparently, a lot of people took them up on that offer, and I think that's probably what that that UPS bill is
1: one point three million dollars. Oh my!
0: And you know, there's I got that's assume, a lot of
1: brown trucks, man.
0: Well, they're shipping also no product. Yeah, but yeah, there and the, there's there's actually some of the other creditors in there are shipping related as well. Mm-hmm. So the uh, DL Industrial, oh, I'm sorry, Eastfield Lighting is mm-hmm. actually a Asian shipper.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I thought having Ben Kaufman, who is the CEO of Quirky, on there as a creditor, as an mm-hmm. unsecured creditor, was really interesting as well. That seems very rare. Mm-hmm. Later on in the list is also a former president of Corky, who is listed.
1: Uh, I I hate to see it. And, And all kidding aside, the Wink has actually worked really well for me. And I know other people have had differing experiences. I totally understand that. It's my hub of choice right now. And I guess going out on a limb, I mean, if I was going to buy a hub right now, I guess I probably would not buy a Wink hub because the future is uncertain. So which one would I buy?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked. Mm. I am in the same boat because there are things that I, what the Wink hub has offered me is Lutron support, Mm -hmm. which not a lot of other hubs offer. So that has been kind of killer for me because smart things would be my automatic, I would flip back to smart things. Mm -hmm. So if you're like me and you have Lutron support and you're like, dang it, I love Lutron, your your other options are going to be the Staples Connect Hub, which does have Lutron support, mm-hmm. or you can go with the HomeKit support if you're a big
1: Apple user. What HomeKit support?
0: I know we're going to get there. So so <laughs> sorry, bear sorry. with me. In a month, right. you're going to when all the right. sixty days are up, and we don't know what's happening, and we're if we if everything goes to hell, then you know you can see. But if all else fails, HomeKit will have Lutron support. Mm-hmm. Plus other devices, or you can do Staples Connect and they have Lutron support plus other devices, not exi- the devices don't match up like device to device, right? The other option, like Staples Connect doesn't have an Amazon Echo support, nor does mm-hmm. HomeKit. Right. So if Amazon Echo is the most important item for you, smart things, smart things is you're going to be your bag. And I've, I've told the Lutron people, I've begged them to get me a Lutron dongle so we can just plug that into the back of SmartThings. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to happen or not.
1: Mm. Well, we will have to see. I'm already on the SmartThings hub page, for 99 bucks. I'm not buying anything right this second, but I'm going to have to have a backup plan.
0: And, you know, SmartThings is a good backup because, mm-hmm. this is a good segue, it, the second generation hub, has intelligence built into the hub. So not everything is cloud reliant. And I know you like that. Thank you.
1: I love it. Yeah, because, well, we know why. Because uh, you lose the cloud, you lose your smart home, basically. And that is pretty much exactly what happened this week.
0: Again. So this time, instead of Nest going down, although I did hear that Nest may have had some issues too, what happened was Amazon Web Services went down. AWS. (laughs)
1: AWS. <laughs> I know.
0: When this happens, there are people in the in the community who are like, "Skynet is down. Skynet is down."
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so many people use Amazon Web Services because it's so inexpensive.
0: It is, and it's it's actually quite reliable, except for the, except for the Ashburn, Virginia data center. That that thing, I don't know what's happening there. Mm. So, what this brought home to me, you probably were sitting there going, ah. Everything in the cloud—it's bad. Yep. There was there was an overwrought article, I believe, on ZDNet. I'm sorry, Kevin. I'm picking on your site. That's okay. That's okay. But there was a gentleman who was like, "My Amazon Echo went haywire. It caused mayhem." And yeah, I... the, the mayhem I saw was that basically his dog woke up at five in the morning and he couldn't turn on the lights with his Echo.
1: Yeah. I mean, okay, you get used to a certain convenience factor and all it's, I guess you could construe it as mayhem, but no, I I was inconvenienced that very night because my echo was not playing music or controlling my legs either. So I actually had to get out of the chair and hit the light switch. So mayhem, it was not for me.
0: We had the same issue and mayhem was not the word I chose to use in my head. I was like, what the heck is happening? (laughs) Was the extent of my... It's like, uh, but since since mine is kind of sometimes not working, I just assumed it was eh, ghost in the machine kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But to me, less less like cloud reliance for the internet of things, it actually got me thinking about how many services actually run on Amazon, Mm -hmm. because a lot of them do. And if not, the Wink cloud runs on Amazon. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the Echo has some reliance on Amazon. But a lot of even cloud products like Electric Imp, which provides the connectivity plus cloud services for things like the ratio sprinkler head, they actually run on Amazon. They now offer an on-premise device, but I believe Ayla, which is kind of more of an industrial cloud provider also runs on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And the list goes on. I used to, I used to track which ones ran on Amazon and which didn't, but it became kind of silly because most devices actually ran on Amazon. So that's one of those problems that people don't really talk about. I mean, everyone kind of mm-hmm. acknowledges it. They're like, oh yeah, when Amazon goes down, we're we're hosed.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, they they've got built-in redundancy and and you know data centers all over. But I mean when they have something that hits them on a widespread level, the only redundancy that you could have in place is have your services running on a separate company's cloud, and that's expensive, and well, you've got you know fallback issues and so on.
0: And it's hard to architect for too because yes. your another company's cloud doesn't look quite like Amazon's cloud, and it's not like you can actually architect a, a one-to-one solution and have it be yep. optimized.
1: Yep, so. totally, totally get it. But but we've said this, I think probably for the last two episodes in a row. Having IoT so reliant upon the cloud brings challenges. And I still keep going back. Right before the show, we were talking about the hubs, which was my favorite hub and all that. And actually, the do-it-yourself instant hub that I ran here in my house, not connected to the cloud, but everything here was running on a headless server. That's it. I I didn't have to worry about Amazon Web Services or anybody else's cloud.
0: Oh, my God. So like the cloud that we're proselytizing, we have become redundant (laughs) (laughs) Wah, wah. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs>
1: my lights just went red again.
0: <laughs> oh yes. I you're like you're like can I can I just leave? Yeah. Okay, so we're not gonna talk more about this because there's really not more to say since neither of us are offering a service, nor can we really I really can't think of an option that really helps people here. But if you guys, listeners have an option, I'd love to know about it because this is this is a continuing problem. Well,
1: and but- we, oh. You did actually give an option, and that was uh, at least to consider the SmartThings Hub, which the new one does have some smarts, you know, locally in case the cloud is not accessible.
0: Well, and, you know, the Amazon Echo has some smarts locally. So, you know, I think your counterpart at ZDNet talked about the alarms being set inside the Echo.
1: Mm-hmm. So There's was... some local stuff, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: you know, there's... There's a hybrid approach, <laughs> but you know, no one is gonna be no one is happy when their stuff is broken. Right. And right. you're always gonna want the thing that's not quite working. Always. You know, yep. it's like unless unless you're like in a life or death situation and you're kind of the other thing is you you don't see the cloud, right? You know, it's it's like when your power goes out and you're like, ah, curses, power, you know, you're like mildly inconvenienced, but like in the middle of a hurricane or something, you're like Oh, you know, the power's out, but at least I have, you know, my family, and we're safe. Mm-hmm. But this is not that. No, this this is like, ah, oh, I have to get up to turn my lights. I'm in mayhem. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Let's talk about smart plugs. Let's talk about presents because presents.
1: Did you get me presents? I. I oh wait, you I, don't I got, mean that kind of presents. <laughs> Never mind.
0: I got me presents. Okay, uh, what'd you get? I got I got these smart plugs from a company called Zuli. and. I got to tell you, Kevin, we have talked about presents and Bluetooth for, God, it feels like years, right? Forever.
1: Forever. forever.
0: And now that I finally tried them.
1: You like it, don't you?
0: I I do like it. But I'm also like, once again, this is so hard for me, right? Mm -hmm. It's like Christmas where you're like, it's Christmas, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. And then Christmas comes and you're like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, that was, I guess. Yeah, that was cool. Which makes me feel like a little ungrateful. So Zuli and this Zuli is fine. Zuli makes these smart plugs. They sell for $160 for a three-pack, which is what you're going to need to actually do presents in your home, or mm-hmm. $60 for a single smart plug. They're beautiful. They um, plug in to any outlet and turn it into a smart outlet. Mm-hmm. You can plug any appliance into it. If you plug a lamp into it, it turns into a dimmer. It also measures energy usage. It can do scheduling. It can, let's see, what else measures my carbon footprint for that device. And
1: it almost sounds like the, uh, Wemo insight switch that you had sent me.
0: Yes. And that is also $60. So if you Mm -hmm. were looking at both of these and you were like, I really want a smart outlet that does some cool things, Mm -hmm. you know, I might recommend you do the Zuli because you're going to get the on off capabilities, you're going to get the energy consumption, but you're also mm-hmm. going to get the ability to dim a light, which mm-hmm. I don't believe the insight gives you.
1: Mm, I think you are correct on that one.
0: But for the time being, this is only iOS. So iOS only for now. Android mm. is coming later. I don't know about Windows.
1: So the big deal about the three pack is besides saving yourself a little money, if you have three or more of these, they use Bluetooth to triangulate your presence, your location in your home, provided, and I said this probably two years ago, provided you have your phone on you. Yes. And and I know when we talked about this way back, you were like, I don't want to carry my phone everywhere, but I'll bet you're doing it now, aren't you?
0: Yeah, a little bit.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So
0: uh-huh. here it goes. Okay, so here is, here's what Zulie is selling. Zulie is selling presents, and they're selling it tied to Bluetooth on your phone. So yes, you do have to take your phone with you, which I kind of loathe because I don't always have pockets. But if I take my phone with me, here's what I can do. I can walk into a room, and theoretically, the lights will turn on in the lamp that I've plugged into the Zuli. It mm-hmm. will turn on when I enter the room. And that is actually pretty cool. So- I'm walking through my house, and it's like, boom, the lights turn on. Or boom, the TV turns on. Or boom, when I walk into my office, the printer turns on. I don't know why I plugged that in. It was just more fun.
1: (laughs) Do the lights turn off when you leave the room?
0: So, yes. I I plugged it into our bedside table lamp Mm -hmm. in our master bedroom. It's actually my husband's bedside table lamp because... Mine is already plugged into a different smart lamp setup, Mm -hmm. but his was set. So five minutes after I leave the room with my phone that it will turn off and the UI on this is really nice. So when you're actually setting that up, it warns you, it says, by the way, when you do this, you could be leaving other people in the dark. Do you still want to do it? That's nice. I I really did think that was nice. I was Mm -hmm. like, yes, I do. And my husband's like, thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, I did. And when I left with my phone, boom, it turned off. And that was actually, once again, nice. I did find that if I left the room, but I didn't go into a room that had a Zulu outlet in it, mm-hmm. it didn't always turn off. Mm-hmm. It was a little hit or miss.
1: And that's because it's it's basically figuring out which one of the Zulis you're closest to with your Bluetooth radio and your phone. So again, triangulation, and it's not going to be super super precise because of that. Is my guess
0: right? So if I if I went out of the master bedroom into like the office where there was another zuli and then I went someplace else, mm-hmm. then the light would turn off. But if I went from my master bedroom down into like the living room where there was no, and I I bypassed all the other Zulis, Yep, it was just like. I don't know where she is.
1: Because you're still closest to that one or, yeah, it just doesn't know where you are at that point.
0: So I was like, oh, I guess I need to buy more of these to really cover my house. I was
1: just going to say, you pretty much want one in like every room.
0: That's one thing. So here's the other thing about living with it. Hmm. It integrates with the Nest. I can't tell if this is a great thing or not a great thing. So I think I need more granular controls. But for most people, they're going to probably love it. So you know how... Most people have their nest someplace out of the way. And sometimes you're like in a room and suddenly you realize your nest has decided that you're away from home and it's oh, yeah. like, oh my God, I'm, I'm sweltering
1: all the time, all the time. Yeah. So this integrates
0: with the nest already. And this would stop that because if you stick the smart plug in there, mm-hmm. in that room that you're in most of the time with your phone, it'll just be like, yo nest, she's here. Don't go to away. She's yep. right here.
1: So these can act as basically external sensors for a Nest, which is very nice.
0: It is. Except I have my Nest upstairs, and when I go downstairs, I actually like that my Nest turns off. Mhm. So I was kind of like, "Oh, I kind of wish I could turn my downstairs sensors off since I've got a downstairs and an upstairs thermostat." Mm-hmm. I-, I wish that I could turn my downstairs sensors Zulis, off for the Nest purposes. Mhm. Which is maybe a little more complicated, but I'd kind of like to see that in an update because I think yeah. that would be nice mm-hmm. to have later.
1: Yep, totally agree. When you were telling me about these before the show, you mentioned something about the battery life on your phone.
0: Yes, and this is the final thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I noticed, and I, I installed these on my iPhone because I they don't have the Android app yet, mm-hmm. and I don't use my iPhone very often. It's my work phone. So... I noticed that, and so usually I don't charge my, I charge my work phone once every four days or so. But this guy running this app, I would go through the battery like once a day. And this app uses the battery at like, I think it's two thirds of the battery basically.
1: Yeah, we we went into the battery settings on your phone right before the show and took a look to see which apps are using the battery the most. And it was nearly two thirds of the usage was from the Zuli app. And and that's kind of concerning to me. I know it's using Bluetooth smart and it should be low power and all, but the app is probably constantly looking for the smart plugs, even when you're not at home is my guess. But there may be some some geofencing involved there that alleviates that. I don't know.
0: There is a whole lot of pinging going on is what's happening. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it... So this is the question. Does it use geofencing to notice when I'm away from home to turn off the pinging? Because I'm a little weird as a tester because I work from home, so I'm always right. in my house.
1: Right. So if people who were home, you know, not working at home, but were out all day, maybe it stops pinging for them. The app would have to know that. And to only know to know that it would it would need to be, you know, GPS or Wi-Fi or some other, some other way. I'm going to suspect not. It's just a guess on my part. It does um, use
0: location, though. It does ask for permission to use my location.
1: Well, so, maybe, maybe. I, I mean, it, it
0: has that. It is asking for that permission, so maybe you're, you're, it's using it.
1: You're going to have to go work in a coffee shop for eight hours and then see if it still used two-thirds of the battery usage at that point, because that's the only way, I think, to find out, unless the company you know, will, will tell you for sure. But you know, it is going to ping a lot because it's constantly checking to see how far it is away, not just from one Zuli, but from multiple Zulis.
0: True. And the final wish list I would have for the Zuli. Right now I can't use the presence for anything other than the Mm Zullies. I really want to use the presence. And Taylor, the CEO of Zuli, Taylor Humphreys, said that they're working on this. But I really want to use like the Zuli presence as an if this then that trigger to trigger other things because my lights are not lamps. So the fact that it's plugged in devices is very limiting to me. Whereas Mm -hmm. I want to be like, yo, when I step into this room, I want my Lutron lights to turn on or my Philips Hue lights to turn on. Mm -hmm. So that's the next stage of Zuli, you know, after they work on the battery issues and after they possibly give me granular controls, maybe before the granular controls.
1: I wonder if they're even considering um, a second product that would be less limiting to you, and that would be Zulie Smart Switches.
0: See, and yes, we've discussed switches. Although switches are hard for people because no one wants to install switches. Everyone's afraid of electricity.
1: And they should be. Um, yeah, well, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: Everyone's afraid of getting, you know, Yeah, but before
1: Before we had all these connected bulbs, which is arguably much simpler to install, you know, all the Insteon stuff I had were all smart switches. I redid most of the switches in my house.
0: I am with you that I've redid most of, I am in the process of redoing most of my switches with Instaon, not Instaon, Lutron. Lutron. Although now I'm feeling like, oh no, that's why I'm like, Lutron, give me a dongle, please. (laughs) Maybe I can build my own. I'll, I'll, I'll steal like a radio from inside a Lutron or a Pico and see what I can hack together. Kickstarter. Hello. All right. Well, we have talked a lot about a lot of things, some good, some bad. We've made some good recommendations for people. And now it is time for us to take a quick interlude, a quick musical interlude, and then stay tuned for our guest, who is Liat Benzur. She's with Philips Digital Health, and she is going to discuss aging in place and how the Internet of Things can help with that and change healthcare. Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Internet of Things show. This is Stacey Higginbotham. And today I have as my guest, Liat Benzur, who is the Senior Vice President of Connected
2: Digital Propositions for Royal Phillips.
0: Hey, Liat, how are you doing?
2: Hey, Stacey. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, I am so excited. You are here to talk about something that is actually really important, which is how we can use the Internet of Things to improve elderly care and kind of the concept of aging in place. So... I am super excited to have you here. So first off, let's set the standard with Philips. You are right now part of the same company that makes the Philips Hue light bulbs, but that is not the case for much longer, correct? That's correct. We're actually splitting off uh, the lighting business uh, by the end of this year. All right. So let's get started with kind of this concept because everybody, pretty much everyone's aware of the demographic trends happening, which is there are about to be a lot of Older people and we're kind of concerned about how we're going to care for so many aging people with the resources that we have. And there's a lot of opportunity for the Internet of Things, even if it's something as simple as, you know, caring for your parents and having the ability to put sensors in their home in a non, hopefully surveillance kind of way, just to make sure they're okay. So you guys have created actually, I think it was about two months ago, kind of a think tank for how to innovate around elder care,
2: correct? Yeah, that's right. Actually, um, we definitely do see that there's a, a pretty big problem to be solved out there. So I think today there's, um, seniors are actually mo- using more of the health care resources per capita than any other group. And uh, patients that are 65 years and older are representing 40% of all hospitalized adults. Uh, We think that there's a lot that we can do there. There's technology innovations sprouting around everywhere, and you and and this podcast talks about a lot of them, but it's a bit rare to hear people talking about how those technology innovations are are helping the elderly. And in research that was done between Phillips and Georgetown University, we, we actually learned that it's not because the elderly don't want to adopt technology. In fact, many of them do. Uh, they, they want a little bit of help on learning how to use it, but oftentimes their caregivers are just so overwhelmed with that day-to-day care that they don't have time or, or the patience to, to teach them. So the Aging Well Hub, which is uh, what you're referring to, is, is like a think tank that we started with a lot, of other, a lot of other partners, Georgetown, MIT Age Lab, Humano, West Health, and more, to focus on driving innovation specifically around uh, tackling issues of aging well. All right. And
0: so far, have you guys discovered anything interesting or what is
2: kind of, do you have a, a focus for your research yet? Yeah, I think it's still very early days. So a lot of these things are, are just getting started, but we're going to be, stay tuned to hear about what comes out of, uh, out of that aging well hub. I, I certainly will. Maybe we'll have
0: you back in a year to see, see what you've learned. So Phillips has actually been doing a lot with the elderly I shouldn't say a lot, maybe, uh, but you guys have been in this space for decades with the Lifeline product, which you know I think we've all we're familiar with. I fall in and I can't get up. Is, was that the tagline? I
2: is that Lifeline's tagline? That's the concept. That, that's exactly the concept. I think um, I think you're right. Uh, Lifeline has, has been the leader in the United States for many years in um, uh, helping elderly to be more independent in their homes with these types of solutions that detect falls and allow seniors to immediately be connected to a backend response support. So
0: how do you take a product like that, which is, you know, connected to a cellular network and kind of upgrade it for the current generation and era? Because, you know, I, I look at something like that and I'm like, Hey, that's, that feels very old school and how do you tie something like that in with you know sensors how do you make it maybe a little bit cheaper i don't know i mean there it's, it's i'm sure expensive because there's all this back end monitoring it's not just like you know <laughs> there are people on the other end so if you fall the you know it's calling actual people who will send help to
2: you so that's i assume part of the cost but how do you yeah it's it's, you it's very it's that? very expensive it's, it's actually a very complex solution. Uh, the Lifeline system takes over 9 million calls a year. That's uh, almost one a minute, and their average response time is 22 seconds. So it's a, it's a pretty serious um, solution to make sure that there's always someone there for your loved ones when they need it.
0: Okay. But
2: to your, question, um, to your question in terms of how do you take these core technologies and drive them into uh, the brave new world, IoT is right at the heart of that. IoT is right at the heart of that. The same stuff that's driving all of the wearable companies that we like to talk about to to do cool stuff, the same technologies that they're putting into their devices are going into um, the next generation Philips GoSafe solution, which is really a a wearable pendant. Um, It it includes 3G modems, you have two-way voice, home communicators, GPS, Wi-Fi, intelligent breadcrumbs, audio beacons. It's all the stuff that we talk about in, I would say, kind of the more consumer-centric uh, sexy stuff that early adopters talk, uh, li- li- like to discuss, but it's designed for the elderly. So it's, it's, not, it, uh, it's not the stuff that you um, see when you first walk into Best Buy in the home automation zone. The auto alert detection there is really designed to make sure that if someone falls, not only is it detecting the fall, but if the person falls and can't themselves make a call, it automatically starts the call for you. There's someone that talks back um, from the response center and makes sure everything is okay if you need assistance. And then you can start to think about how this can go beyond just um, those types of of extreme cases to also providing support for elderly care um, when they need minor assistance. So if uh, someone's been locked outside of their home or they need to pick up some medications, or they need help to, you know, to go to a doctor's appointment, they have that on them at all times with someone there 24-7 who can try to contact uh, various people in their care plan to get help for them.
0: That's really useful because I I know that Lifeline feels kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, I have literally fallen and I am unconscious, or you know, you're going to send an ambulance versus I fall in and I'm kind of stuck, but I don't really need an ambulance. I just, can you call my, I just want to call like a family member who's nearby and have them come over and just help me up or not even necessarily help me up, but just kind of come over and comfort me or, you know, make me some soup.
2: So that's, it's actually, it, it, it's an incredible thing, Stacey. I, I, I've seen a lot of technologies. Um, I actually went to visit the Lifeline um, team uh, on the East Coast that's taking a lot of these calls. And when you listen to someone who's, you know, 95, I, there was 103 person calling in and, and, you know, just asking for help, small things, testing the system, and the, the happiness it brings to have someone on the other side right there immediately to help them, it's much more powerful than just the obvious thing that we think about in terms of um, fall, uh, fall support. It's amazing.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. No, I mean, I've I've delivered for Meals on Wheels before and just just being there for someone is is like probably 80% of like what people need i mean it's it's comfort like human comfort so that's absolutely that's worth it so in terms of providing again healthcare let's let's kind of talk beyond that solution let's talk about how we bridge the gap between kind of consumer-grade medical stuff like a Fitbit or activity tracker into kind of hospital and medical care. Because as you get older, you're probably going to to need more wearables and more hospital-grade care. And I'm very curious, like, what that should look like in kind of this more consumer, I guess we'll call it the consumerization of medtech. Because we've had the consumerization of IT but what should that start looking like to make it a little bit friendlier as we kind of try to bring this stuff into the home? Because we're going to have to, right? We can't just rely on hospitals for that. And we don't seem to need to as much anymore with kind of better wireless, better sensor technology, right?
2: I think we have no choice, actually. I think with the aging population growing, the number of chronic diseases growing, the overload on the medical system growing, um, health care costs growing, it's just not sustainable, right? So, so we have to. There's absolutely there's no question about it. The health care system needs to change. And the way that we see that happening kind of depends on where you are in the continuum, continuum of care, what we call the continuum of care. So depending on if, you, if you're someone who's healthy or perhaps recently went to a doctor and were told that you have the potential of getting a chronic disease if you don't change your lifestyle. These need to be beyond general fitness tracking. It's really about wearable solutions um, that are going to focus on some real healthcare issues designed by doctors and psychologists that can really leverage clinical knowledge in order to drive programs that can drive change, behavioral change. So that's kind of one part of the continuum. If you're someone who's already sick, if you're someone who's already sick and you're in the in the healthcare system, there's also opportunities for, for um, the Internet of Things and the consumerization of, of healthcare and wearables to play a huge role. I'll give you an example. We've been working on um, intensive ambulatory care programs with Banner Health where we focus really on most complex and high-cost patients, like the top 5% of patients, often elderly, that have multiple chronic conditions, accounting for like 50% of all healthcare spending. And those patients get a bunch of connected hardware. They get Android tablets. They get customized software. They get all kinds of biometric sensors, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, scales, whatever. All of those solutions are tied back to Philips HealthSuite digital platform, Doctors have access. Nurses have access to see the information that's being gathered. They can triage that information. Patients are matched to healthcare coaches, nurses, social workers, and in just two years since we've been doing that program with Banner, there's a significant impact actual to healthcare costs. We're seeing 27% reduction um, in cost of care, which goes up to 32% uh, reduction for acute and long-term care costs. And a forty five percent reduction in hospitalizations overall. What are the common
0: things that you need on the hardware side, that you need on the software side, that you need on the cloud back end side to that makes these different from, you know, outfitting me with like a Fitbit and maybe some home cameras and electronic medical record system that ties into I don't know, health kit or research kit or some, some other kit.
2: Yeah, so there's there's a few key variables that really matter um, when we talk about changing the healthcare landscape. Number one is accuracy of data. So lots of solutions out there, but accuracy of data really matters. That's you know why it's much much harder to. to for things to be considered medical devices or non-medical devices. Um, Number two is... Wait a second. So accuracy of data, if it's FDA approved, that
0: means, should I assume that that means the data coming off of it is accurate? So I think that's
2: one indicator. Okay. That's one indicator. But of course, these are, you know, accuracy of data can go beyond just pure medical devices, right? Because when it comes to being able to be predictive... The more context you have, the better. So you can imagine all kinds of things around you providing context. And I think accuracy of data is one of the things that the medical community absolutely struggles with. There's so many things out there, what do they trust? And noise in the system could really uh, provide bad results. And there's, there's no tolerance for that in a medical system. So that, that's, one, that's one variable. Um, another key variable, and probably one of the most important variables, is the ability for data to be used kind of across the longitude of the things you do in your life. So what I mean by that is today, when you buy wearable devices or smart devices at the store, all the data that's collected from those devices tend to be collected in disparate clouds by each manufacturer, whoever built that device. So if I have 10 different connected things around me, on me, in my house, usually the data is going to 10 different places. One of the things that we're really trying to do and and we think is absolutely critical for the success of health tech in general is to create an open platform, a public cloud, if you will, where you can start to connect the dots from healthcare systems all the way through to devices that are more consumer-centric. Secure, HIPAA-compliant cloud where if the consumer consents to sharing data, you can actually start to connect the dots. And this is very, very important because if you want to do some of the things that um, we think are necessary for predictive analytics, you need to be able to take that wearable data and connect it up to the healthcare context. I'll give you um, an example of how powerful that could be. So from that lifeline Wearable pendant that we talked about earlier—the mm-hmm. one that elderly people might be using more for, you know, fall detection and having someone there when they when they need help.
0: Sure.
2: We've been looking at the data from the past several years from seniors who have been using that, and um, working with a lot of uh, clinical scientists, data scientists. We've been able to do some really interesting uh, data analytics where we can detect proactively when patients are most likely to have health issues. So that's really allowing doctors and caregivers to intervene before problems occur. You know, of course, ultimately helping patients stay healthier and reduce, reduce hospitalizations. But that's all using historical data that was gathered from Lifeline users over the years and combining that with real information that's coming in real time from the, sen- from the seniors' wearable device The CareSage program, which is the name of that analytics platform, is able to start to change things from being a reactive care device to a proactive care device. Extremely powerful. You can't do that if all the different things we're using to collect data on lives in 20 different clouds. And you can't do that if the things um, that are collecting our data are living on clouds that are not secure, not HIPAA compliant, um, and are are not going to allow you to connect those types of dots. Okay, so it's like the predictive maintenance for machinery,
0: but applied to humans. <laughs> You're like, that's terrible, Stacey. That's, don't don't say that ever again. <laughs> okay, and that makes sense. You guys have done, and we'll, we'll probably wrap this up quickly, but I, I do want to focus on some of the diseases that you guys have been, because you have this very, you have the lifeline programs, very generic, like just general help. You guys also have the ambulatory care program, which is also kind of generic. But you also have some very specific disease programs Um, with diabetes. You have a diabetes-specific care community. You have a a COPD care community. I'm very curious, like, I guess why those exist, what you're learning about doing specific care communities versus general health. And I'm guessing it's just a when you focus on these care communities, you're getting both, is there a specific, like, being able to get better data associated with those care, like having a specific, I guess, patient group. But is there also like an ability to bring those actual patients together, if you want, via kind of social media or
2: help? Yes, absolutely. Um, So first of all, Philips is involved with kind of all of the above. So we're offering programs that are very specific to unique cohorts of population, such as the diabetes platform that was announced this week um, at Dreamforce, actually, along with Salesforce. And that's really about a digital health solution to help improve the care for, like, the nearly 400 million people that are living with diabetes worldwide. It's a huge population, and it's all about diabetes self-management with an application integrated to a back-end that has an online community for collaborative care. So it's the first time that there's an online community that can connect people with diabetes to clinicians, um, to uh, other people that also have the disease, so that everyone can share both personal data, clinical health data, whatever they want to share in a secure app-based network. Um, so that's that's you know just a just a simple example of of the types of things we're doing. But we're involved in this uh, at various points. Of that continuum, including general health solutions for people that maybe want to just start to monitor their blood pressure, uh, their their um, heart rate, their sleep patterns. You know, the most fundamental things in your life are your your sleep, your nutrition, your activity levels, and between those three things, if it can, if you can be coached to change your lifestyle, you can actually prevent having all kinds of chronic diseases later on in your life. And we're looking at those opportunities too. I think one of the, the most important differentiators, kind of going back to your other question, of what separates all of these programs from a lot of the other solutions that are out there today is the clinical expertise and healthcare expertise that we're using to deliver the coaching, to deliver the recommendations, to deliver the change behaviors that are necessary to improve the goal. That, that's a real key differentiator. It's not just about tracking data and presenting pretty graphs and visualizations. It's what can you do with the data and how can we use um, our bench of you know, behavioral uh, change scientists and psych- psychologists and NICU nurses and cardiologists and everything in between to help deliver uh, programs. These are solutions that we often build with the patients, Um, and with hospitals very, very close to the last mile of healthcare in order to try to make an impact.
0: Okay. So it's the involvement of the doctors and creating that community and getting an early start, hopefully. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, we have moved from your elderly, I'm always forgetting, it's, it's the elderly hub, no, elderly innovation hub, Aging Well Hub. Aging Well Hub. See, my brain, my brain reacts against it because I'm like, oh, no, it's an actual hub. And I'm thinking of a physical device, but it's not. So the Aging Well Hub all the way to, I guess it's also Aging Well, as, but it's earlier in life with specific, preventing specific chronic diseases, hopefully. You guys have a lot going on. I'm excited to hear about it. And I, I feel better about my own, my own efforts at aging, which, which really involve just waking up every single day. So Thank you so much for coming on the show, Liat. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening and join us next week on the Internet of Things podcast.